0: You're listening to Culture Cult on Sin with Maria and Bex. And now we're going to be talking Easter. Most of us enjoyed quite a lengthy Easter break, Um, but we're talking Orthodox Easter, which I believe was celebrated over the weekend just gone.
1: Yes, two days ago. So we, it doesn't happen at the same time as Catholic Easter. Because it's two different calendars, but then, like the Olympics, I think every four years, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure every four years or a few years, they align and are at the same time.
0: Mm. But this year it was a little bit outside of that. It was just a week Mm. apart.
1: Like, there's some years where it's, I think, three weeks or a month, and it feels weird because you feel all the hype in Melbourne, and then, like, and you have your holidays, and then everything goes over, and then.
0: Definitely many communities um, celebrating, and um, I was out on Saturday night, but then I had friends that were heading to Mass right at midnight, so I understand that's a big part of um, the Easter celebration. Orthodox
1: Easter is, like, bigger than Christmas in in Greece, I know it is, at least, for sure. But also here, I think, I don't know why exactly, I think, I don't know, it's more symbolic because it's, traditionally, it's all like, yes, Jesus has risen. But there's so many fun customs and things you do that are a part of it. And even a lot of people who are not particularly religious, it's the one day people will go to church without
0: fail because it's so much fun. Right. So it can be like culturally religious as well. Yes. And so what are some of the traditions that you go through in the, is it in the week leading up yeah, or actually it's, it's it goes, a process. Wow. So Give it's, us the timeline. Okay.
1: <laughs> 40 days or like 42 days if you count the weekend before. Um, I celebrate, or I like to fast in the lead up to Easter every year. But sometimes there's a a celebration that's a week before fasting that we have where it's um, the carnival period, and that's when people dress up in costumes uh, and they march in all the main cities in Greece. It's the equivalent of carnival in, like, Italy and South America.
0: Wow, so very colourful, very full on.
1: But usually... I don't know why, but I know in the island Lefkada where my family's from, people get in teams and they'll just dress in a costume of some sort. So you'll get like a group of people dressed as soldiers. Then you'll get a group of people dressed as Minnie Mouse. There's always <laughs> men dressed as brides. There's, there's always boys in drag. Like always.
0: So it's just a bit of fun. It doesn't have to be relating to the religious. No. significantly. I think it's meant to be
1: the purge because everyone... Uh, dances and celebrates afterwards and eats a lot because then right after that you're supposed to start fasting for 40 days. Um, but our fasting uh, for Lent, it's not giving up all food and it's not giving up a specific thing. It's more eating a very simple diet and basically going vegan.
0: So sort of staple foods like yeah. bread and I mean, was that difficult? It
1: had been in past years but I think you get used to it and you kind of anticipate it because in it's 40 days and then I think everything just tastes better when you do have Easter. Um, yeah. And you learn what it is that you miss most. Like I used to find it difficult because I'd have to, uh, especially like when I was a teenager and my immediate family wouldn't really fast. So I'd have to like hang out with my grandma a lot or buy my <laughs> own food. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, that's 40 days. And then most people just do it in the last week in the lead up to Easter. Uh, and that's when they cut out all animal products. A lot of people eat fish for most of the 40 days. I do it as well. I don't know why. I think it's because there's,
0: you don't see blood in fish. I don't know. Yeah, that's a regular tradition for uh, Catholics who follow Easter as well. Good Friday is always the busiest day, the fish and chip shops. yes. Yeah. And is Filet-O-Fish. Oh
1: <laughs> one day it sells.
0: Yeah, not so fancy. But. yeah. And then on the lead up to, I believe it's Easter Saturday, so the evening of Easter Saturday, is that when you're getting together with family and mm-hmm. most people are heading to church?
1: Yes. You're, there's a service every evening at church and then there's things you do around the home. Like we dye red eggs, I think most Actually, anyone who does Orthodox Easter, I think most people dye red eggs or coloured eggs. And it has to be traditionally either the Thursday before Easter or Easter Saturday. Uh, people make food, visit their relatives. They decorate candles that you give to your God family.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Like a gesture of goodwill and... Because this is our Luck and Prosperity themed episode, you're listening to Culture Cult on Sin. So one of those symbols is, there's a lot of symbol and imagery relating to light and I guess maybe new starts, goodwill, Mm -hmm.
1: rebirth, rebirth. cleansing.
0: Yeah, so it's it's like a nice time spiritually as well to let in the good energies and the good vibes. It's very beautiful. And And you were telling me earlier in the week about the light leaving the church
1: Yes, it's that's like the most intense process of all because fasting, yeah, maybe it's hard to restrict your diet but it's not a proper challenge, especially in Melbourne. We have access to so much food. But then holding on to your light, the whole point of Easter Saturday is you go to church, you go to the service and then at midnight the lights go out and everyone shares one flame that travels between everyone.
0: That is such a beautiful gesture. Yeah, I know. It's very
1: cute and it's really nice because... It doesn't, it's usually not going to come from your family because they're just waiting with you. It'll come from strangers around you, good Samaritans. Um, but then the challenge is you want to get that light home. So that's a real fun. And it's like cold in April in Melbourne. Yeah, generally pretty freezing. Windy, sometimes it rains. Um, but if you're on your way to your car or whatever and it goes out, someone will usually relight it for you. But people have come up with so many techniques to hold onto their light. Like a lot of people carry lanterns to keep it enclosed. <laughs> to withstand the elements. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, other people will perfect their hand techniques to shade their. Well, you can't save
0: them. Maria's making <laughs> some gestures, a cupping gesture with her hands Cup to protect hand. the flame. But then you wave it around
1: the top as well for the light. I'm a fan of the hands. And then uh, the biggest staple you'll see is making cups out of tin foil. We do that every year before we leave um, and they just shade it because the good thing about tin foil it's very practical, you get to mould your perfect shape but you can also move it up and down as the
0: candle melts. So you don't burn your hands. That's right. And what about, I understand, so you would have driven to church and maybe, I'm guessing maybe your mum was driving?
1: My sister. Your sister was yeah, driving,
0: yeah. shout out to Eleni. And so does Eleni have to hold her flame while she's driving?
1: She insisted on bringing over her flame because the more flames you have, the more chance someone will get it home. Yes. But we all carried them for her.
0: Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Literally carrying the torch along there. And if you head to our Facebook page, Culture Cult on Sin, or at Culture Cult Radio, you might see some familiar, famous faces partaking in this tradition as well. Um, We've got Tom Hanks and... Another actress.
1: Nia Vardalos, the creator and lead in My Big Fat Greek Wedding.
0: Iconic film. Uh, Maria and I are trying to suss where all these celebrities just casually hang out and go to church together. Yeah. Um, But it's a pretty iconic photo that everyone's partaking in this beautiful ritual. Uh, You are listening to Culture Cult on Sin and Maria's given us a lovely insight into... Orthodox Easter that's celebrated across many communities, many cultures um, around Melbourne and definitely around the world.
1: With Maria
0: and Rebecca. Yes, and we're going to be talking cultural quirks. We put a call out onto our Facebook page and we'll keep this thread up, I think, for the remainder of the season. We want to know things that, you know, like the habits that we've inherited from our cultural upbringings, the habits you can't seem to shake. Small things, little things. Also, the distinctive furnishings that certain cultural <laughs> households seem to have. You you might go to a friend's house and they might have the exact same uh, couch set or decor that your family has as well. Seems to be a bit universal. And things like that, just a fun thread to allow you to participate in this show as well. All invited to the Culture Cold, and we want to share the things that we love about our culture, things that make us laugh, sometimes the things that make us cringe a little bit as well. So there were a few habits that we kind of brainstormed over the week when we were planning the show. The first habit is... Maria had this one. It's to do with your handbag, your purse, your backpack or whatever. Where must it be at all times? Just
1: anywhere except the floor.
0: The floor is lava. The floor is lava (laughs) when it
1: comes to anything that holds your cash and your personal belongings.
0: And is that like a hygiene thing? You don't want to get your bag dirty or? Probably. Um, I think a lot of
1: things are stemmed from bad hygiene. Hygiene, I think it's money, but also the symbol of the floor is gross. You don't want your good things there. And also the floor, I think, the hierarchy, I don't know. Yeah. Like, you don't want it. Like, if it's on the floor,
0: you'll lose your stuff. It's symbolic. We want to be high Yeah. High status. So that was quite a quirky one um, to begin with. One that I have that many of my friends, many of my family would also agree with is if there is a shoe facing the wrong way on the floor so if the sole the bottom of the shoes facing the sky must at all times turn it back the right way around this is just a habit that i've inherited (laughs) Good get scolded by my parents, my dad especially, if it was the wrong way round. I think this has something to do it might have some religious background to it as well. I guess maybe like your shoes shouldn't be pointing to the sky, the heavens, God, etc. The
1: floor is dirty, Rebecca. And the floor is the dirty. The floor is dirty.
0: Yeah. And it also just it just looks really sloppy and I just can't stand it. So even if I'm in someone else's house, I just gotta like flip over <laughs> the shoe. Many people I don't think this is specific to Middle Eastern or European culture specifically, but a lot of households don't have shoes now, yeah. don't wear shoes in the house. I think it's huge in Middle Eastern. Yeah, definitely. So I guess that's, again, got to do with maybe bringing in the dirt, foreign matter inside <laughs> the house. You want to keep your house clean and cleansed. Another habit that's pretty funny is... Going to a family friend's house or your aunt, your aunties, your uncle's house, and we just don't say ciao, yasu, goodbye, whatever. It's got to take upwards of 45 minutes, an hour before and we're you actually get this to Rebecca. Yes, yes. So, how it usually flows, I find, is come on, we're leaving, you know, and especially when you're younger, is like five more minutes, I want to stay five more minutes. So you'd want to drag it out a little bit, but then all the parents, all the adults would just linger kind of in the lounge and they get up in the lounge and they hug and kiss each other goodbye, whatever. Then it slowly moves to the corridor, the hallway. So we've got another goodbye there and then it'll drift to the driveway. And everyone's in the car waiting to go, but then they'll wind down the windows and the goodbye continues there. So when they remember that they have to ask you about the other thing they forgot. Yeah, (laughs) that they didn't spend in the three, four hour catch up to begin with. So yeah, I don't know why that occurs, but we definitely don't have abrupt catch you later goodbyes cross.
1: It's a really long process.
0: And greeting too.
1: Do you you do the circle of love where you kiss everybody in the room? Yes.
0: uh,
1: (laughs) Make sure they're good. Yes. Yes.
0: And uh, it doesn't matter. Like I was at a uh, get together a barbecue over Easter and there was maybe like 40 people at this house. And still when I walked in, everyone stood up to greet. And I was like, no, no, please sit down. Don't trouble yourselves. Continue eating. But
1: they're going to do it anyway.
0: They have to. (laughs) Of course. Because it's just so inherently, I guess, maybe a bit rude or disrespectful not to rise and greet someone, which is actually quite nice and quite polite and quite warm and welcoming. But I just always feel like a bother. (laughs) Yeah. And especially when there's so many people in the room, when you do walk in, kind of just want to do a big kind of roundabout wave rather than a hundred kisses have you ever tried to make it happen yeah but I've not really succeeded everyone still insists on giving you the the kiss and it's it's a little bit cold to do a handshake I guess as well even if you don't particularly know that person by name it's an acquaintance or maybe a face you'll uh, recognize and yeah not just older people adults do this like young teenagers, young people like ourselves always greet their friends with three kisses we do. What do you guys do? Two. Two maybe. kisses. Yeah. I think two kisses is a standard three kisses if you're close. Yeah. Kiss on the cheek. Quite sweet. It is sweet. Sometimes slobbery. Yes.
1: <laughs> Just kidding. No, my favourite is still there. There's always the older ladies, the aunties uh, with the spiky mo's.
0: Oh, yes. The prickly facial hair. Yes. (laughs) That'll be us one day. Yes, it will. And on that note of aunties and uncles and cousins, we all have maybe hundreds of aunties and cousins and uncles that might not be biologically related to us or related to us through marriage, but an auntie, an uncle is just someone that I guess your parents might be friends with or a family friend and acquaintance that you respect. Yeah. Calling them auntie or uncle. There's a level of love but
1: sometimes there isn't even if they just feel like yeah, feel like family but it doesn't mean that it's your closest person in the world. It's just
0: I think it's more a mark of respect. Yeah. Yeah. It's started with me uh, people referring to me as auntie. I'm like, no, oh I'm my still gosh. young. Like, Go give auntie Rebecca a kiss. Oh. <gasps> Yes, but I'm too young to be an auntie, but maybe not.
1: Oh, Rebecca, I don't get that much. I mainly get the cousin. Yeah. But I'm the eldest of the cousins, so everyone's a baby.
0: If you want to let us know your cultural quirks, and we will be discussing these as a regular segment on Culture Cult on Sin, you can hit up our Facebook poll, our Facebook thread, where our page is Culture Cult on Sin, sin spelled S Y N. Or you can search at Culture Cult Radio. And also if you're a culturally diverse young person, artist, academic, comedian, anything like that, you might want to hit us up for an interview on air. We're always welcome and down for a chat. So our email is culturecultradio at gmail.com. That's culturecultradio at gmail.com. So please feel free to get in touch. We'd love to have some more awesome, young, culturally diverse people on air as we share our love and appreciation of all the Middle East and the European world has has brought us. So um, do you want to give one quick anecdote before we throw to a song? This was our final culture quirk for the day. It's when you like something, you compliment someone on their watch their dress um their car i don't think this is quite gone this far but what happens when you compliment someone on their car or their or oh, sorry not their car on something that they own i don't know in greek culture
1: uh you pretend that you're kind of spitting on it <laughs>
0: Which seems a funny thing to do if you're, yeah. if you're liking and appreciating something. Even if it's, like, not an object, even if it's you. Like, it's like you're looking great today. <laughs> pretend to switch? <laughs> we won't right into the mic, but, yes, we get, we get the picture. I've also found that sometimes you might end up the owner of that object because the, first, the person feels compelled to gift it to you. So uh, this happened to me when I actually this happened to me a few times one example was complimenting my auntie's watch I was like that's a nice colorful watch I am now the reluctant yet proud owner of that <laughs> watch because she insisted to give it to me and it's and again it's a really loving nice gesture but it's not like you're complimenting something just to receive it I mean that's why I use the example of a car someone's got a nice flashy car maybe maybe you can compliment them on it maybe you'll end up proud owner of it. Do you think kids <laughs> would compliment things <laughs> to, to be sneaky?
1: I would do that if I was a child and like someone had like sweets yeah, lollies. I can imagine little me but I, I do. would also just ask for them
0: Yeah I don't think I was that clever when I was that little to pull that off but definitely batting the eyelashes like I really like that trinket or that uh, cool flashy toy that you have and then, you know, sometimes going home with it as well. Um, you had an anecdote? I do.
1: I didn't know. I, I didn't realize until Rebecca and I were discussing uh, what we do to a safe face when you're complimenting something. And Rebecca's like, you give them the object. And it brought me back to primary school. Uh, one of my besties uh, in the day Sybil, lovely person when we would visit her and my other friend as well, we would always leave with a bunch of toys that her mum would just give us for the day. And she'd be like, it's fine, take them. And we thought it was strange, but then we just thought that was her mum's quirk, uh, what she did, and it was always nice. But then my friend, who had visited this same friend, was telling me recently how she remembers she had complimented a, a toy that belonged to our friend's little sister, who may have been four or five years old at the time. And when she was leaving the house as a visitor, our friend's mother, like, brought out the toy that belonged to the four, five-year-old and was like, take it, it's yours. My friend was like, oh, no, no, like, it's fine. It belongs to, like, it didn't even belong to our friend. It belonged to her little sister. The little sister was there crying. And like, no, mom, don't That's give it to me. That's my favorite teddy. And my friend didn't want to take it either. She's like, no, it belongs to the little one. But the mom, like, just chucked it at her. She was leaving the house and
0: shut the door. There goes Ted. It goes that far. End of story. Yeah. Sometimes our generosity can get the better of us. Yeah. This is The Culture Cult on Sin with Maria and Bex. It's all about luck and prosperity today. We've been talking Orthodox Easter and all the light and goodness that hopefully brings into your life. We've also been discussing cultural quirks, and you can add yours to our Facebook page at Culture Cult Radio. And one of those symbols relating to luck that is really famous is the myth or the, like, the uh, tradition of the evil eye. So the evil eye itself is the myth and the famous emblem, the blue, usually like, bright uh, cobalt blue with a distinctive pupil in the middle, is the emblem that protects you from the myth. So do, what's your understanding of the evil eye, Maria? Because it's very common across many cultures. Yeah, we... We always had
1: it on jewelry. I knew growing up in Greek culture, it's it's more just a bead people carry on them. But we also display it in homes. Actually, that's what everybody uses it for. And sometimes it's also embedded in clothing. Uh, It might be, especially in touristy areas in Greece, you might find like a dress that'll have the eye, the eye pattern sort of on the edges. But the whole thing behind it is that you don't want to get the evil eye, and the phrase in Greek is funny. They say, don't be eyed. They turn the word eye into a verb.
0: <laughs> don't like, be oh, eyed. She got eyed. Something unfortunate happens. So the myth, this is, um, we did a bit of research, a lot of credit to the BBC Culture page, who really had a nice summary of this really long standing myth that goes back thousands of years. So, the myth itself is that people who are successful, are attractive, things like that, they attract envy and jealousy yes. and that itself might curse you to lose your luck. So, the the amulet can ward off the curse, which is known um, as yeah, the symbol of protection. And it's interesting, and one of the reasons that it might be common across so many cultures Turkish, Arab cultures, Greek, European cultures, is because it's not actually a religious symbol. It doesn't relate to any religion. It's more cultural. Um, So there was one instance of it being found, or not the only instance, obviously, but in Syria, they found an artifact, like a stone artifact depicting a really early version of this symbol it's obviously not colored or painted or anything it's literally just carved in stone and that goes back they believe to 3500 BC. That's insane. Yeah yeah so it's we've seen so much of a I guess it being a trend like a lot of celebrities have adapted it into their clothing lines or using it as a bit of a yeah fashion symbol which I don't know like I don't know if that is so much cultural adaptation or it's so present in culture already that it's, it can't yeah. really be adapted or stolen from one culture per se. I think, yeah. Uh, also, Rebe- uh, Bex has just pulled up that
1: 3500 BC uh, little sculpture and the eye design is exactly the same as the eyes you see that are slightly almond
0: Shaped, yeah, yeah. It's that's obviously like a very, old. yeah, it's a very early version. I might pop that up on our Facebook page because it's got two eyes as well. And usually, when you see the the symbol as we know it today, it's usually one blue eye by itself. Yeah, which goes what back to your to translation eye? of getting eyed. It's <laughs> one eye, um, which is really interesting and lovely blue color as well. I think that's why it's so popular. And yeah. What do you call it in Arabic? Ain. Oh yes. Literally meaning eye. So the play we the song we just played was Habibi a noodle ain and ain is like I. So the song's something like Darling, you are the light of my life. So that was a subtle little segue into talking about the evil eye. But what are the some of the ways we wanna know if you wanna hit us up on Facebook, some of the ways that it's being used in your culture? Do you have it around your home? I know I keep a variation of it in my car but it's not blue at all, it's gold and quite blingy. Um, so yeah and what are the ways that or the symbols that maybe you've been gifted to bring you luck and goodwill? You can hit us up on Facebook